Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Hello and welcome to Nonprofit Everything, a podcast where we answer your questions about everything nonprofit. I'm Andy Shurick. I'm Stacy Wedding. And uh, let's get started. So our first question, so we want to modify the name of our nonprofit from Child Refugee Ministries to Child Refugee Foundation. We are not an organization that grants funds, as many family foundations are, which use that term foundation. Instead, we are an organization that raises funds to support a program that helps refugee children from Syria and South Sudan get to safety. Is it confusing slash misleading to use the word foundation in our potentially new name? And would it be better to use a different name? What do you think, Stacey? Well, Questions always raise other questions, right, Andy? So one of the things here is I want to know what sort of was the impetus or the driver for wanting a name change to begin with. And because we don't have the person, but that's something that if the person were here, I'd really want to understand, is this just um, oftentimes happens, you know, you get new board members and they're trying to leave their mark. And what is the most common thing? Let's change our name. Let's change our website. Let's do it. It's always the website. It's, it's the website. the website. It's the website curse, right? <laughs> yeah. So anyways, but with that said, so what is the driver? And so, but, but let's set that aside for a minute. I have really strong feelings about it because I've seen organizations set up with foundation in their name and they never are able to overcome the confusion that comes from that because foundation, generally speaking, if you're not granting funds, it still has that feeling for people, right? That's the definition of foundation, sort of grant-making entity, is what people naturally think of. So when you add foundation to your name, I think you add, it makes fundraising more difficult, and you add this whole layer of complexity of trying to explain, well, we're not really a foundation, but, you know, that's, the name is this. It's, it's kind of a weird, it's just a weird anomaly, and yet organizations somehow feel like it will attract more money, but it does just the opposite, especially when you look at even... Um, you're applying for grants, and one of the questions is, or one of the criteria is, we don't give to foundations. So good luck trying to explain, <laughs> well, our name is such and such foundation, right, right? right? But no, we're really not a foundation. And anyway, so it's just, I could go on and on about it, but I, I would caution against it. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't have anything to add except for I agree with you completely. And I don't know why it's that. So the IRS has no... There's no official definition for foundation. You you can call anything a foundation. It can be a for profit and call it be called the foundation. Yes. So whatever the, whatever foundation, it doesn't mean it's a nonprofit, and it just can yeah. To your point, it just confuses people. So why do it? Yeah, exactly. So might be room for some discussion, and um, I think there's a lot of people out there. I'd encourage this organization to perhaps talk to peers who have that are nonprofit entities that have added foundation at the end and find out what how that's worked for them, because I've never heard positives related to this. Um, the only potential exception is if there was some grant-making activity with the organization, like it's a sort of hybrid where they're raising funds, and we all know of those, right? They're raising funds, but they're also giving funds away. It still gets, com- that gets complicated too, though. So yeah, uh, yeah. in yeah. donors' minds, I go, keep it simple. Yeah, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, 
I'm on the marketing side of my nonprofit, and it's a constant struggle to get the development side to see eye to eye with us. They always think we're trying to tell them how to do their job, but we're really just trying to help. Development treats us as an afterthought during fundraising campaigns, so we get content from them that was made without the nuances we understand in mind. They just want us to make the ask anywhere and everywhere without building a compelling story around it. Anyway, do others have challenges? What is the solution? I would love to be an integrated front and wish they'd see the value of our expertise. This is such a good question. And this comes, I think this has come up at every single nonprofit I've ever worked at, every single one. Um, marketing and fundraising should never be separate. Like my opinion, there's no reason at all that those should be two distinct groups that need to report to different people. They need to all report to the same person, regardless if that person's called the chief development officer, chief marketing officer, chief executive officer. It doesn't matter who it is as long as they report to one person who feels ownership over both of those sides. Because they do. They're two totally different things. The fundraising people know tons about fundraising. The marketing people know tons about marketing. And they have to work together because what they're doing is eventually supposed to be raising money for the nonprofit. If it's not doing that, they're not doing anything right. Um, so, you know, my, in previous experience, my, my go-to strategy to get them worked together would be to just like grab them by the hair and knock their heads together until they started <laughs> to do it. <laughs> How did that work for you? <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Yeah. And, and, it's, and I've had some good advice from people too, because I've had asked the same question of people over the years, like how on earth, um, and I got like, there are two really good pieces of advice. The first one is to remember, um, that you're not the target market that by virtue of being inside the nonprofit, seeing everything that goes on in the charity and knowing how everything works, that a direct mail piece, for example, or a social media post that's asking for money is not directed at you. You know too much. It's directed to somebody else who hasn't engaged with the nonprofit yet. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things in the question was like how to build a compelling story around it, right? And the, the, the fundraising people should understand that. If they don't understand that, they need to go get their... You know, development textbook out they need to go look online and see like what fundraising really means it's less about getting people just mail in their house yep, and a lot yep. more about telling a compelling story um and if if the fundraising side doesn't get that and they're not doing that then yeah the developer the the marketing people need to come down hard on them people don't necessarily have to be good at both of them but you need both of those pieces put together really really well if you're going to do if you're going to do a good job raising money you have to i feel like when when i heard this question what came to my mind was, what is this culture in this organization? And so looking at it from a broader perspective of kind of respecting each other's differences and strengths and figuring out how you create more of a team atmosphere. And so that's a bigger picture thing that probably doesn't help the person writing this question immediately, although they could be part of that solution with some recommendations about what if we did a you know, kind of a brainstorm retreat with marketing and fundraising together? What if we do some goal, shared goal setting this next year or, or for the rest of this year, right? That we figure out where are we trying to go and how are we each going to use kind of our respective areas to get there? Because like you said, you need both. But I think, again, if there's not sort of that shared vision and shared goal setting, then you've got marketing who's beating to one drummer, you know, and the, you know, and fundraising who's doing something totally different. And then they become almost competing with each other instead of helping each other. Yeah. So I just wonder how, how that would help like having, you know, and it doesn't even have to be someone where you bring an outside expert in. I mean, have, have, you know, make it fun, have some fun element, get to know each other a little bit more. I think both also kind of 
doing sort of a here's what I bring, you know, kind of a strengths assessment um, where it's just sort of like I've, I've seen some cool things done where you can get together at a retreat and really talk a little bit about what you value or the expertise you value with another coworker and how how does that help? And once people start talking through it and then realizing, wow, these people are key to me being successful in reaching mm-hmm. the fundraising goal, and these people are key to me being successful in reaching marketing goals, and hopefully all of that's driving revenue and awareness building for the nonprofit, I mean, it kind of becomes a win-win, and then you build more of a team structure. Also think like on the from an executive level and thinking about culture, Perhaps there's opportunity when you're doing reviews or evaluations of employees to think about how you set goals where every single, it's not siloed and compartmentalized that marketing has one set of goals and fundraising has another and finance has another, but everybody, if the team is working well together, you need all parts to be successful in really all aspects of the organization. So how do you measure you know, success as an organization and how does that even show up in job, you know, evaluations, annual performance reviews. So then everyone is kind of working in the same unified direction and it's not pointing fingers or saying, oh, we did well and you, you know, fell on, you know, fell down in the process. So I don't know. I mean, and is that too, I would say to you, Andy, is that, does that sound too um, fluffy what I just said? Or do you think there's there's some no, like I, you know. I, I think you're right on. It, it it reminded me of sitting in staff meetings where everybody's supposed to report on their results, and the fundraising people would get up and they would talk about here's where we are and what this is what our goal is supposed to be, and this is why we haven't met our goal, right? <laughs> and then and then the marketing people would get up and they'd go, okay, we got eight jillion clicks and forty two jillion likes, and <laughs> they shared our content eighty two times, mm-hmm. and and those are. Those metrics are nice, right. but they need to support each other. Absolutely. Like so, if the marketing team is feeling like they're hitting it out of the park with all of the the metrics that they're tracking, but the fundraising team isn't meeting their goals, like to, to your point, that if it's not integrated, you guys you're not winning. Yeah. <laughs> you're not doing your job. Yeah. You guys need to be working together. So they're coming up with those big picture goals and then figuring out how each individual component fits in properly so that when you report that you're all reporting on the same thing. Absolutely. I've also had, you know, CDOs that have told me like, I don't do marketing. I don't know anything about marketing. I only do fundraising. And, you know, again, this is, you just hired the wrong person. Like if you, yeah. if you don't think you know marketing, but you're a development person, like you need to figure that out or you need to hire well, somebody. The basics, right? Yeah, yeah. Or hire somebody that's really smart that you trust that you can, that can do it for you. And then you can nod when they talk. Um, but but yeah, you, so whoever's in charge of it needs to have a pretty good handle on how everything works. You can't just decide, you know, well, I don't care about marketing. This made me nervous, this question when they talked about the development people just want to make the ask and, you know, kind of do that all the time. I thought, (laughs) yikes, okay, then somewhere along the way, either there's a perception of that, which isn't good, or if that is the reality, then yes, development people, I I want, you know, good fundraisers are amazing storytellers and think about how if they worked with professional marketers, how much they could craft a really compelling story that kind of takes the expertise of both and moves it toward engaging that donor further or, yeah. you know, st- I'd like to see the same question written by the perspective of the, the fundraising person, because it would probably be the exact same thing. It's like, <laughs> it's like the marketing team is really only about awareness and yeah. all they, you know, they think that awareness pays the bills and it doesn't that all we, you know, we need to raise money and everything that they want to do has more about like making sure that people recognize our logo. And <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> so, 
You know what would be really funny? Let's just add a third dimension and put the finance person in here who absolutely usually is at the polar opposite. And I'm looking at you. <laughs> I'm looking at you when I say this saying Mr. CFO, but I'm sitting there going, um, you know, who's absolutely, why do the development marketing people need such big budgets? Why are they always spending money? How long does it take to get return on that investment? You know, so it'd be fun to add that dimension in here <laughs> yeah. too. So I was I was definitely a different kind of CFO. I was on I was on the spend you have to spend money to make money. Yay. I understood that. You were one of the good ones. Yeah, I was always I was always a friend of the development part department, which oh, is that's that rare. Good. Yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, the, the finance people, uh, it's not even a, it's not even, we'll answer this question when someone yes. asks her, we'll leave that one. For, <laughs> we will. We'll leave that one for later. <laughs> It'll come up. It'll, somebody will say, well, tell me about direct Path. mail yes. acquisition campaigns. And so we'll add that yes. one later when someone asks. So if you have that question, just be sure to write it in. Yeah. We would love your question. <laughs> We'd love that question. We want to answer that one. Here's our next one. We'd love to involve some individuals in our nonprofit's board, but we'd like to keep our board of directors at a constant of five people to avoid ever being swayed from our chosen path as an organization in case people ever wanted to vote each other out and such. We want to allow additional people to be in a sub-board, as I'd imagine, where they have roles and such, but no power to vote the headboard off the board, so they have a bed. <laughs> the headboard, they want to, they, they're, it's not a nonprofit, it's a bed. So no power to vote the headboard off the board. I think they mean like the, maybe the chair. Yes, that's Okay, what so vote the mean. chair off the board of the directors. Is this a thing in the nonprofit world? Is this feasible? We just hate to bring in people who end up trying to guide our mission off the righteous path, you know, but still want to strengthen our organization's key players. So what do you think, Stacey? Well, I've got a lot of thoughts on this one. Uh, you know, one of the, the, Questions. Obviously, I assume that, as you said, head board, meaning the board chair. Uh, and I, you know, I'm just wondering does a nonprofit have bylaws and what kind of bylaws and policies does it have in place about, uh, structure and how the board is structured and how people get approved to the board and how they get, quote, as this person says, voted off. Because my concern is, is it shouldn't be easy to just vote somebody off of a board. Right. Right. So, um, so that's the other thing. And, and, you know, and it almost feels a little, um, like there's some fear of having too many people involved or too large a board because the larger the board, the more there's sort of opportunity for the board to, um, go in a different direction. And, and that I think is common among nonprofits. Mm -hmm. I, you know, at least the ones I talk to are always worried a bit about that. And, you know, then that leads to what kind of strategic, you know, is there a strategic plan that the board helped work on, right? And is, have ownership. Is there a mission? Yeah. Or would you start there? Right. Yeah. What's the mission? And yeah, where are you trying to go and how are you going to get there? And then once you've got that board buy-in, then doesn't that just make it um, that much easier to keep the board focused on, hey, we all agreed to this, um, you know, what's going on here? So I also think that perhaps there's some room for exploring why it needs to just be a board of five. Right. Like, does it need to be, you know, when you think about nonprofits, how large is this nonprofit? And I'm not one that says there's a magic, there's not a perfect number for a board. Um, and a board size, the average nationally is 15. And yet you want a board that's large enough, right, to have the diversity of skills and expertise and connections to help your organization. And yet 
small enough to still manage, depending on who you are, if you're an all-volunteer right. organization. So I'd also push back a little bit on why does it have to be limited to five if you've got right bylaws in place, the policies about how the board handles itself in place, the strategic plan, the mission, the strategic plan in place, right. then those are some of your safeguards against it kind of going off the rails, right. which is what I, I feel this person's a little concerned about. Yeah. And like, how do we mix it up with, you know, can it be more than five board members? What do you think? Well, yeah. The, so the, the way the question's written, especially because we don't, there are a couple of terms in there that um, aren't typical nonprofit terms, like sub-board. We might call something an advisory board. So if you want somebody to be involved, but you don't want them to have a vote, you might create an advisory board. But they don't say advisory board. They say sub-board. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is that they didn't know that the board chair is called the board chair. Right. They call it the, the headboard, which is not a thing. No. Um, <laughs> like you said, it's like a bed. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, what, maybe it's a... Wondering what this nonprofit could actually be about. So, yeah. so it sounds like they're like at the beginning of their nonprofit yeah. journey and probably have an awful lot of stuff to learn, and which means they don't have a lot of those things in place that you just said. They're unlike. I'm guessing they probably don't have a mission that's really clear. They, I'm gonna say, they totally don't have a strategic plan. All of these bits and pieces. They may not have staff. So trying to sort of figure out where you're going to go next. And then you can sort of bring those pieces on and don't worry about bringing people on that don't fit your mission because they're going to fade away anyway. Mm-hmm. If you want to, why would you, why are you expanding the board to begin with? Is it because you want to bring on additional resources? Do you want them to bring more cash with them? What's the purpose for expanding the board? Um, but to your point about the board size, as long as it's bigger than three. And, you know, I, I personally think that there's a there's a, an upper end to a functional board that has more to do with can we get quorum yes. at board meetings than yes. it does to about other things. But we've seen really, really huge boards. Um, but I think that's, yeah. I wonder if, I, I would love to see this organization, if they could spend even just a few hours sort of mapping out the clear mission and where they're headed, even in the next year, to give them some direction to help them then decide, do they need to expand the board? And if they do expand the board, then how are they doing it strategically, right? So I think it's the piece that we all get so busy, and especially a startup organization. They're trying to wear 100 hats and do everything. But without starting at that point of making sure everyone's on the same page, this is where issues you know, come out and, and where organizations run into issues. And before creating that, quote, subboard or advisory board. Um, and by the way, I would never call a board an advisory board. That's probably a question or a topic for another day, but oh, let's okay. just, so that's, um, but like, you know, before doing that, I'm just thinking, okay, that creates yet another body of people to manage. And if you're a small organization already, like maybe it's about careful strategic expansion of your board, even if it's from five to seven, but seven people. But again, I think it's driven by where are we trying to go and what do we need? What connections do we need to get there, right? What expertise do we need to get there? What could really help us at this stage of our development? Do we need someone who's kind of like the builder of something like an entrepreneur versus someone who really likes systems in place? Because this sounds very startup and that's that's okay, but yeah. how do you get people who are comfortable with that messiness? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I, there, I think one more comment about advisory boards. Uh, hopefully we get that question later <laughs> on, but um, just a personal, personal experience, uh, not that long ago, maybe a year ago, somebody actually called me to ask me if I would be on one of their committees, their board committees. And I asked, is this a board position? And they said, no, we just want you to be on the committee. And 
my answer was no. Like, so I, I don't know what you're trying to do. If you're just trying to access my expertise, just call me. Don't make me have to go sit through a bunch of finance committee meetings to find out what I think. If you have questions, just send me this stuff and I will answer it for you. But don't, don't make me have a giant time commitment and then say, but you're not really on the, you know, not important enough yeah. to be on the board. That's just, that's just straight up insulting. Yes, to be honest. yes it is. <laughs> interning at a nonprofit for six months, and I'm a recent college graduate. My bosses know that I'm currently job searching and desperate for a job. My boss is pleased with my outcomes and wants to offer a paid position as a consultant or analyst for one of the projects I'm working on. Since I know our organization is a small nonprofit, I'm not sure how much to ask for salary and how to even go about it. My bare minimum salary would need to be around $35,000 in order to cover living expenses, student loans, Etc. Do you guys have any experience with this or any advice on how I should go about it? Thank you so much. Well, that's a good problem to have, honestly, if you, somebody wants to hire you um, because you're already kind of in a good negotiating position because they've made the, they've, they want to give you the job. So uh, probably the smart thing to do is to, to just ask what you need. If your bare minimum is 35000 figure out what you think the job is worth and how much you want to get paid for it and then ask for that. And if they can't do it, um, that's that's the way that's the way the ball bounces, right? Um, nonprofits typically have lots of restrictions, as you probably know, on what they can pay and and how much they can pay and the benefits that you're going to get. And so you kind of have to take into consideration if you're willing to sacrifice some of that salary for working someplace where you're valued and and you feel good about the mission and you're excited about going to work every day. Uh, that's something that comes up all the time. The you know, sadly, you know, the comparative positions between the nonprofit and for-profit sectors are never paid the same. You could get the same job doing the exact same stuff at a different company, you get paid way more. Um, and, you know, one day, one day maybe we'll get that changed, but probably not any day soon. Um, but just be honest with yourself about like, how much is this job worth to you? And if, if really $35,000 is your bare minimum for that job, go in with open eyes and say $35,000 is my bare minimum for this job. And if he says, sorry, or she says, sorry, I can't do that. You know, then, then you go from there. What do you think? I think it's, I, I totally agree with that. I also think I would appreciate if I were the boss having someone who put some thought into, um, you know, did they do some comparative analysis? Did they make my job any easier? Did they look at maybe there's nonprofit, you know, compensation studies out there, some that are accessible online. Um, and so did, did they do a little homework to say, you know, to justify or to, you know, justify here's what this position generally makes, here's what it makes even in the in our general sort of region, and while I'm starting whatever lower, higher than that, here's how I will perform and here's, you know, I want to make sure you know I'm committed and here's some goals I would even set for myself. So someone who shows the ambition I think I would be a little bit perturbed if I got someone who came in and just said, hey, you know, I need 35 and, and kind of just sat there almost expecting me to jump and say, oh, great. Like I would want someone and that's me just being a stickler. <laughs> I would want someone who would do a little bit of homework before that to convince me because they're still trying to sell, you know, they're still trying to convince me that that's, you know, exactly the decision I want to make. And obviously I like their work or else I wouldn't even have mentioned this, but can they come in and sort of share with me? I've been giving this some thought. And then I think for the person asking it, it'd also be interesting to see 
if someone came back and the boss came back and said, you know, we can't make that work, does the person who, you know, needs the $35,000, can they move up to that in six months with some key deliverables or metrics that they meet. And I don't know enough about the job to know how they could measure it. But are there ways that they they could get by with 30000 knowing that they could get to 35000 in six months or a year or whatever, and sort of building that into perhaps an agreement with the boss might be also another way um, to just think about it a little bit. Yeah, uh, yeah it's... It's a t- it's it's you know it's a tough one and I do agree like you know you sort of got to own it if if you have to make the thirty five then you have to make the thirty five yeah. but how do you really make someone feel good about that decision um, especially depending on the size and not knowing enough about the position is at a comparable rate and perhaps they're getting you for a steal with thirty five too yeah, yeah I mean that's a good point I you know I, I think I agree with like eighty percent of what you just said <laughs> so, <laughs> but but absolutely doing their homework and finding out what that what does that sound what does that position pay um, in comparable institutions and you can get that information by calling around or there are salary surveys out there um, most of the state associations including Ann has a salary survey that you can ask them to to take a look at um, it, most organizations pay for them too because they want to be able to prove to their board that they're paying people the same general rates that everybody else is paying um, so I agree with that part of it. The part of, so as a hiring manager, yes. Uh, one one of the things that I would put on the first of all, we always when we would when we would put post a new position, we would always say this is the salary range for this position. Um, we don't pretend. We don't say salary commensurate with experience. We don't say you know generous benefits or any of that nonsense. Um, we're very honest about this is the range. It's between these two numbers. And and then the second thing we do is when we ask, we ask people like, how much do you expect to make? And we make sure that those two numbers are compatible with each other. So if you if the salary range for this position is twenty five to forty five, and you're asking for thirty five. You're great. You're in the range. And if you say you want 35 and I really like you as an employee and I want you to come work for me, I'm going to offer you 35. I'm not going to try to lowball you and bring you in at 25 because that's the bottom of my range because, you know, maybe you'll grow for it. Because as a hiring manager, my what I want is when you take this job, I want you to be excited about it. I want you to walk in going, oh, my gosh, I just got the coolest job working for the most amazing organization and they're paying me what I asked them to pay me. Um, Compare that to I just got this job. It's an awesome organization, but I'm not getting quite the amount of money that I wanted, so I'm still sort of looking and seeing if there's something else out there that I want to do. So, you, you know, I would much rather exceed somebody's expectations when it comes to salary and make them a really enthusiastic employee when they walk in the door and not try to nickel and dime them out of 10 grand over a year. Because to 10 grand over a year is not that much money, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And if, you're, if your nonprofit's doing well, you should, you should be trying to pay your employees as much as they poss- you can possibly pay them um, within the within the, like, whatever the boundaries of your nonprofit finances allow. If you're doing really well, you should be able to reward your employees. Um, for, you know, from the inside the nonprofit walls, that's a really popular opinion. Outside nonprofit walls, that is an unpopular opinion, but I'm going to own it. Oh, hey, I, so here's an interesting caveat to that. I mean, they talk about, are they going to be an employee, like a paid salaried position or a consultant? And I think those then yeah. become two different things to consider, yeah, right? Yeah. So then you're going consultant, you've got many more taxes and things you're responsible for. And then you've got to back into the expense of, you know, all of the stuff to do to be a consultant, right? Or to be, to be set up as a consultant to do that. So I'm just sitting here also thinking, 
being really crystal clear and, you know, the fact that if you're really a consultant doing a full-time employee's job, there's some risk in that for, you know, at least the employer for doing that. So, so I think there's some other layers here that I'm not an, a, a lawyer, so I don't want to get into it, but I think <laughs> right. there's some advice to say, be cautious of whether it's consultant or salaried. Yeah. That's a, that's a good point. Neither neither Stacy nor I um, are giving you advice that you should follow. Just remember that. So so if it all goes horribly wrong because you listen to us, it's not our fault. Yeah, <laughs> we don't want the blame. <laughs> nor it's not the Alliance for Nevada nonprofits' fault either. No, so, it's yeah. not. <laughs> we are not lawyers. Right. that's it for this episode. Thank you very much for tuning in to Nonprofit Everything. Uh, for Stacy Wedding, I'm Andy Schurich. Please check out the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits. Uh, their webpage is allianceforNevadaNonprofits.com. If you have any questions, uh, there's a podcast button. Click the podcast button and then ask us a question there. That'll get to us and we'll try to answer those in future episodes. Thank you for listening. Thanks. Thanks.